0: Hi, and welcome to Recovered, a podcast from the Magdalene House, a recovery community for alcoholic women. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization based in Dallas, Texas, and known by many as Maggie's. My name is Stephanie, and I'm a recovered alcoholic on staff at the Magdalene House. Each week, I have the pleasure of conducting a live interview with an alcoholic woman in recovery for the participants who are currently in our Next Step program. Whether you're in recovery yourself, contemplating giving it a try, Or just supporting someone who is. We are so glad you're here. Thanks for listening. Welcome everyone to Interview with a recovered drop. Katie is here and she's going to introduce this week's guest. So take it away, Katie.
1: Yay! You guys, I'm so excited and so honored to be here to introduce Rachel. Just real quick, I met Rachel a few years back in one of my many trips to rehab. And I remember just being immediately drawn to her and I felt so connected to her because of the way that she carried herself and the way that she spoke, um, I really related to when she talked about her alcoholism. And I remember, you know, I remember her talking about the freedom that this program provides us. And I was so amazed and I couldn't believe um, That it would actually work for me you know um, and she told me some hard truths about what it means to be an alcoholic and you know I unfortunately didn't get sober at that point but uh, what's funny is that because of the truth that I heard from Rachel um, I wasn't able to to drink and to use the way that I wanted to anymore because I knew the truth and it sucked (laughs) But I'm so grateful for that today because, you know, um, she was the voice of AA for me. Um, and I don't know if people had said it to me prior or people had carried that same message to me prior and I just couldn't hear it. But God showed up with skin on uh, for me through Rachel. And I'm so blessed and honored to be a friend of hers. She's a teacher of mine as well as a friend and just such an inspiration. And it's been so fun watching um, her journey over the last few years because you know, God calls on her to go somewhere and she jumps out on faith and she just goes and it's been really cool to watch. And so I'm excited for you guys to get to
0: meet her and um, yeah, take it away. Awesome. Thank you, Katie. Uh, Rachel, do you mind just giving us a little bit of background information to qualify yourself to what led you to Alcoholics Anonymous?
2: For sure. I want to tell y'all first how crazy God is, how funny God is. Um, it looks like Gina just figured it out. Um, Gina and I used to work together years ago. Um, so it's super funny that this is her first week and, um, I'm in Chicago and randomly like, (laughs) see now Gina's putting it together. (laughs) Um, so God is really good y'all. Um, it's just, It just blows my mind that's why when I first got on I said hi Gina you were probably like why is she saying that to her like because I recognized her off the bat um I actually we worked together for like two or three years for like a while we know each other pretty well so I'm really glad to see you here Gina um I'm I'm just glad I'm just glad to see you uh so yeah my um my name is Rachel I'm an alcoholic um my sobriety date is June 17th of 2006 um you know, we all know how to drink. Um, I, I stayed pretty straight and narrow, um, through college because I was an athlete. Um, and I had a lot of other, um, outside issue struggles prior to picking up a drink. Um, I actually went to treatment for them and in that treatment center, um, started like drinking and, and taking pills and, um, and got out of that treatment center and, um, when I was 20. And things got really bad for me really fast. Um, the book says that we, uh, men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. And for me, that was about like, um, really was about blotting out the consciousness of my existence and um, I, would get, I would try to get sober and I'd get really suicidal. Um, and I, you know, I, I, I tried to, started trying to get sober about 21 um, and maybe 20. And um, I really, truly believe drinking kept me alive for the first year and a half, two years of my attempts at sobriety, because I, I just couldn't, living life sober was too painful. And, um, and in large part, that was because I was fighting the process so much. Um, you guys gave me a, you know, said um, a spiritual way of life or alcoholism. And I was like, eh, let me think about it, you know? Um, and active alcoholism is not a fun place to be. Um, and it wasn't for me. And so, uh, I woke up my, I woke up on a, probably, you know, a Tuesday and was just like, I can't freaking keep doing this, you know? And, um, and I stopped saying no to Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, i um i had a lot i was very i had a huge god problem um and i and i stopped i didn't stop complaining or being stubborn but i stopped saying no so i just started to listen to what you guys told me to do follow suggestions that were made um and completed the steps and you know and i haven't looked back and um and and katie's right like I, I do feel like God's asked me to step out in a lot on a lot of things in my sobriety. And um, you know, when Gina and I worked together, I was making good money. Um and I quit that job to go be a tech at, at the right step, which is where I met Katie, you know, and, and I did not make good money. Um so there's there's just been a lot of things in my journey that um I've that has have, have required a lot of faith. Um, and so, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for like the women that came before me, um, and showed me the way because I would have messed it up. Um, and I'm grateful for the women that come behind me, um, that remind me of, you know, uh, where I've come from. Um, I'm only an arm's length away, you know, um, like time, time and sobriety, um, doesn't make me immune, you know? Um, and so it's important for me to remember that.
0: Awesome. Thank you. Does Mm -hmm. anybody have a question? Okay. So I wanted to speak to you. um, Katie, do you have a question? Okay. I wanted to speak to you about something, but I don't really know how to uh, phrase the question. So I'm just going to like talk to you. Throw it out there. You see what comes to mind. Okay. So the one thing that I really um, liked that Katie said about you was that she was the only that you were the only one that she heard that you were the voice of AA for her.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And so one of the things that we talk about in next step, right. Is um, how to carry the message, right. Mm-hmm. And, and helping others. And so you're obviously you didn't sponsor Katie. So, but you, but you're still an example of how you can still like be helpful to a newcomer and like mm-hmm. um, carry the message of, of love and service without sponsoring. So can you speak to the different ways that you, I guess, are the loving hand of AA to
2: women? Yeah. You know, my sponsor told me very early on, you may be the only big book somebody sees. Um, And so, you know, I was in a, you know, in a more professional setting, like with Katie. So, and it was like, it was all, uh, it was rehab so we were focused on that um but i think it was it's just um like speaking my truth like like i can't um i can't like be the hand of aa if i don't believe that the hand of aa was there for me um and believe in like the program and what and know the truth about what it's done for my life um i think um i it's important for me to like stay humble and remember like that I'm sober by the grace of God today um, through a program that connected me to that higher power. Um, And that's the only reason like I am, I am, you know, uh, a drink away from being back in the hospital from being unemployed. And um, so when I buy into the message or when I like fully absorb the message, then um, and, and then I go out into the world and I never know who I'm going to encounter. Right. And, and in, in what ways, um, it, it, I'm, I'm going to, it, you know, impact people. Um, but if I'm living in my truth, which is like connection to a higher power sobriety through a program of Alcoholics Anonymous, then, um, if I'm firm in that, then I just speak from my own experience and I don't try to tell people what to do. You know, I, I only speak on what I have knowledge on, um, then, you know, it's, and, and carry a, the code of love and tolerance, right? It, it takes, um, like, continued inventory on my part um, to make sure I can take, like, love and tolerance into every area of my life because you, know, you go enough nights without an 11th step and, and I'm not so loving and tolerant anymore. Um, so, you know, I, I have to, like, um, I have to really be working my program because I can't, like you've heard it said, you can't give away what you don't have, you know? And so if if my program's not solid, that I'm not showing up for anybody else. Certainly there's nothing for me to share. Um, But if I'm, if I'm taking care of my like basics and I'm, and I have a sponsor um, and my sponsor has a sponsor and I'm doing service work, you know, then it, it's not, it's not, um, I don't treat, it's like, it's a way of life, Right. Um, and so it's it becomes second nature for you thank you anyone else okay
0: um so i that whenever you spoke you talked about that connection to your higher power um so and that is another thing that i heard about your um relationship with god and so i would just um like you to speak on what you do uh, to continue that connection with your higher power today. And if you don't mind too, like sharing about whenever you first got sober, since For sure. you mentioned that you had a problem with the God thing and how oh my
2: that gosh
0: evolved a- along the way.
2: Yeah. No, I was not down with God when I got sober. Um, I, I grew up, um, like I said, I was an athlete, so I was always on the court or the field on the, on Sundays, and um, we didn't go to church. And um, then we moved to Texas, which is, you know, like the buckle of the belt. And uh, my mom, my mom literally told me, just tell them you're Methodist. That's the easiest one. Um, so like that was my background in like any kind of spirituality. Um, and then I went to a small Baptist school to play ball, not because it was a small Baptist school, um, and I, I didn't understand, um, religion or spirituality and I don't like things I don't understand. And I don't like learning thing new things in front of people. So I would just like isolate and retreat. And, um, and, and then I, um, and then I realized I was gay. And so that was complicated too. And like, what do I, like, how does that work into this whole, like, you know, North Texas equation? Um, And, and so I, you know, coming into the program, um, really balked at the God idea. Um, if I, if I heard any specifics of any religion, I was out the door. Um, and, and that I believe, I used to talk to all the old timers and ask them if I was going to hell. I was like taking a poll. Um, I'm not just so you know. Um, but I was really concerned about it, you know? Um, and so I, I, I started actually doing research, right? I started seeking um, and I, and I got into Taoism. I got into Buddhism. I got, I like expanded the possibilities of what my higher power could be. And like, um, you know, the, the book talks about, in we agnostics, which I used to hate um, because it's all me. Um, it talks about like, um, like it's uh, ex- missing the beauty of the forest for the ugliness of some of its trees. Right. And I, I couldn't and being close closed minded and being speaking of intolerance while we were intolerant. And, um, and that was definitely me. And so when I could expand the possibilities of what my higher power could be, um, I was able to, uh, land on something that fit for me. The, at first it was my sponsor's God. So I would literally would say, a man is God, please keep me sober today. Um, that worked for a while. Um, then someone suggested Gus, great universal spirit. Um, so I prayed to Gus for a long time. Um, and then, like I said, I got into, into some Eastern religions and um, was always just became more open-minded because the, the fact of the matter was I drink because I liked the effect produced by alcohol and alcohol was no longer producing the desired effect, um, which meant I was completely screwed right? I had no solution. And you guys are like, here's a spiritual solution. And I was in enough pain that I had to consider your spiritual solution. Um And when, when the pain got great enough, then my mind opened up to the possibilities of what my higher power could be. Um I, you know, I, um, I was able to find something that worked for me and I had sponsorship that allowed me that space. Um, You know, I, I, today it looks, it is, if you would have told me i would believe what i believe today when i got sober i would have told you you weren't sober um there's no way um like some of the conversations katie and i had like would never would have never been on my radar some of the recommendations i made to katie some of katie and i going together to see a preacher man in when he came to dallas to speak like that was was all completely off my radar um and that's just that's the cool thing about my higher power though right like it doesn't give a shit what, excuse me, it doesn't give a crap what I call it. It still was there and supported me through, right? It, it didn't care if I called it Amanda's God or Gus or Taoism or, you know, it didn't matter. It, 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 it carried me through. And today I call it God, right? God carried me through when I wouldn't even like say the right name or what I believed to be the right name. Um, And that's the that's the cool part, you know, and like when I'm open and and honest and willing, um, like crazy stuff happens, you know, and so and and to continue looks like um, staying busy in service, um, going doing spiritual practices, if I feel comfortable doing them, you know, I don't like go every Sunday anywhere anywhere every sunday um but like if i wanted to i'd feel comfortable in the church today um you know they're like so it looks like all different kinds of things it looks like keeping my side of the street clean so i can lay my head down at night and not know not worry about what i've said or done to others in the day um i i like filter my um my thoughts my behaviors through like is it loving of god and is it loving of people you know, and that's kind of my um, litmus test for a lot of things.
0: Thank
3: you. Anybody have a question? Kristen, woo-hoo. Yeah. I don't know if it's really a question, maybe, yeah. Um, you know, here's so much, like, love and tolerance, you know, it's our code, our way of life, you know, when, Newly coming in, I wouldn't say that I was so loving and I was so tolerant. I know it's a practice. How did you get to that point? What does that look like for you to be loving and tolerant? What did you do to get there Mm -hmm. in a daily practice? Because I hear it so much, you know, I'm loving and I'm tolerant. I know I'm not the one to judge, but sometimes I'm like, wait, like, how did you get there? You know, is it just like I'm loving and tolerant? Here I am. Or is it just you know,
2: doing a 10 step or taking time out, you know? I, I think it, thank you. I think it's, um, I think it's important to remember that that like um, love and tolerance is our code. It doesn't come until the tenth step, right? So there, I may, I may, that's a tenth step promise. Um, I may not have much love or tolerance um, until I get to the tenth step. And that's after a fourth and a fifth step. Right. Um, so I do think it's a practice. And I think there are like actionable steps that I take. Um, I'm, I'm not loving and necessarily loving and tolerant until after I've done a night step, you know, and I start to go out and like clean up my side of the street. Um, so I think I think 10 can I can which is basically don't be a jerk. Um, I can start practicing at any point in my recovery. I can start like I get sober, I can start being aware and mindful of my um, behavior with other people. And like, am I like on edge? Am I, you know, being short with people? Like, I can start to be mindful of the way I interact with people. Um, But I think it I think if I if like 30 days sober, am I expected to be loving and tolerant? That's probably a tall order. Um, Should I like not harm people? Yeah, definitely. Um but but, I may not be quite there to the love and tolerance until i've worked the steps or gotten far enough in the book to where it it promises me love and tolerance. Does that make sense
0: Thank you, Kristen. great question um, Anybody
2: else I do. All- so um i uh my, I've talked to my sponsor a little bit about this. Um, so I find I
4: have a real, I have a routine in the morning, and you know I I read these
2: certain books, and I read on awakening, and I have it memorized, and I go through the motions sometimes. <laughs> if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you do? um, how, how has it changed? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm rounding the corner to six months and I, I want, I, I love and thirst for that connection with God, but what, in what ways or how do you use different, what, what do you do to, in, to in, change up your morning routine mm-hmm. and improve your conscious contact with God? Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Good question. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Um, I think it, comes for me, it kind of comes back to that, like open-mindedness and, um, understanding, um, one of the, one of the, um, recommendations I made to Katie was this talk about this, uh, from this preacher man that is called everything is spiritual. Um, and, um, and it, he talks about like, he breaks a lot of stuff down, but at the end he, he's like, it, if if I have a spiritual life, what part of my life then is my non-spiritual life? Um, so I think it's, it's important for me to have like a practice of like a morning routine. And it's equally important for me to realize that every moment is an opportunity to connect with my higher power. Um, and I do that mostly through other people, um, like just being open and listening intently. Um, and because, because god speaks to me through you guys all the time um so i i also like um like long drives and worship music um that i really feel connected with that if that's anybody's like specific thing you know i i i I really like to to connect through music um that that really makes me feel like really connected going to meetings um like a lot of meetings like really helps me feel more connected to you guys i can see the power of the group and the power of the program um you know i i saw god in meetings way before i saw god in the church um i still see god in meetings more than i see god in church sometimes um so i you know i think i have a um A number of like meditation books so it's always like I think on awakening is a is the like great way to start and be grounded in the program and like like you said you have it memorized now um but it's it's okay to read outside literature also you know um it's okay to bring in other like Hazelden has a whole you know group of um of other meditation books that that are available just to kind of mix it up. You know, Um, I like uh, some of the meditation apps that can be really helpful in like guided meditations. And um, I think it's just not allowing myself to be limited to what I see and view as spiritual. Everything is spiritual. I like that. That's good. That's awesome. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Um, I wanted to talk to you also about the spiritual malady, right? Because you were saying how like you were so miserable, sober, which is definitely my experience, which is why before this time, I could never make it to 60 days. Mm -hmm. I, I think that's common. I don't think I'm alone in that. (laughs) Um, So do you mind speaking to Mm -hmm. the spiritual malady piece of the, of the disease? For sure
2: um you know it it says um that when we straighten out spiritually we straighten out like mentally and physically um and that for me that mentally and physically means like in the world doesn't necessarily mean like my physical body is messed up until I get right spiritually it's just when I'm suffering from the spiritual malady I am in collision with you guys like all the time Um, and there's, there's a cycle to this thing, right. And it talks about it in the, in uh, the doctor's opinion that, um, like it starts with the first drink and I put it in my body and the, the, the allergy takes over the phenomenon of craving kicks in and I don't know when I'm going to stop. And then I go on a spree. Um, and that's just any period of continuous use. Like I drink the way I like to drink. Um, and then inevitably I don't stop until I hit some consequences, um and you know there's internal and external consequences right um the consequences hit and i make a firm resolution i swear i'm never drinking again and if you hooked me up to a lie detector when i made the firm resolution i would pass it every time i mean it when i say that i'm done forever when i make the firm resolution um and then the phys- the spiritual malady hits right? I, I put it down and I have, alcohol was not my problem. Alcohol was my solution. Um, and I have no other solution. And the spiritual malady kicks in and it, it looks like irritable, discontent. It looks like bored. Um, it looks like depressed. It looks like anxious. Um, it looks like um, always on edge. It looks like for me, it looked like thoughts of hurting myself and um, it looks like acting out in other behaviors. It it looks all different kinds of way, but it can be summed up best probably with restless, irritable discontent. I can't sit in my skin. Like I want to like claw my skin off. I'm so uncomfortable, right? That's the spiritual malady. Um, If I could sum it up in like one word, it'd be like shitty. That's how I feel. I just across the board. Um, And if I don't address the spiritual malady then the mental obsession hits right and once the, and, the, and the mental obsession is is the the great lie that um somehow some some way i can control and enjoy my drinking the operative word being and because there was sometimes there was control but there was no enjoyment and if i enjoyed there was certainly no control right so the the great lie is that this time will be different And I can control and enjoy my drinking. Uh, And once that obsession hits and and the lie kicks in, then I pick up the first drink and the cycle's complete and I do it again. Um, The only place that my higher power can intervene in um, is at the spiritual mildly, when I have like some dryness, like physical sobriety, um, and before the mental obsession hits. And that's where the book talks about we have about a week or a month before we can't remember how bad it was with sufficient force, the suffering of even a week or a month ago, right? The pain and humiliation of a week or a month ago. Um, So that, that tells me I have a very short amount of time to get busy um, in step work and um, to get busy. I could, I don't, I have small spiritual experiences throughout the entire process of the steps, constantly I'm having small spiritual experiences. The accumulation of these spiritual experiences is an, is an awakening as a result of the steps. Right. Um, so like I need to get busy in work, busy in service. Um, I have to address the spiritual malady. Um, cause that's what's that, those things are what is keeping me blocked off from the sunlight of spirit, which is what keeps me sober on any, on any given day. Um, and so that looks like, that looks like, um, what blocks me from the sunlit spirit, uh, resentment, um, fear, unmade amends, character defects, right? Luckily there's a process to get rid of those things, right? It's the rest of the steps. Um, but, but I have to, I have to start some sort of like in one, two, and three, start to, to connect in some way spiritually before the obsession hits and, and sort of put some like, um, some protective factors in place. Um, that will buy me time to get busy in step work. But but that's why, like, you know, like, Bill met with Bob, like, one morning, and then that evening he was making amends. Like, you know, like, like this, like, it takes a year to work the steps, like, can be done faster than that. Um, I take people through faster than that um and uh because we don't have time to to sit around i don't know what the next drink is going to do to me you know i know it won't be pretty and i and i won't and i may not be back you know and so um i think this spiritual body is not talked about enough um it doesn't they don't it doesn't come up in the book until the fourth step but um we don't talk about it enough in, in meetings because that's the state of being that like takes us back out the door
0: good thank you um, anybody else have a question? All right, I'm going to continue on with that. Um, has the, I guess, has a spiritual malady showed up for you throughout your sobriety? Um, and what has that looked like? And, um, I guess, what have you done?
2: That's a good question. Cause I do think, um, it's like the part of. Like, our disease is threefold, right? It's the part of the disease that can show up um, and be an indicator that, like, more parts of the disease are fixing to show up, right? Um, I would say it's looked like um, times when I won't pray, like, intentionally. It looks like acting out in other behaviors, right? Um, Like, things that I deem less, like, character defects, knowingly acting out in character defects um, or avoiding working on character defects, like six and seven is, um, my sponsor always beaten to my head as like the meat and potatoes of the program. Right. And, and which is interesting because it's given such little space in the big book. Um, but in the 12 and 12, the 12 and 12 on six and seven is fantastic. Um, and it, it talks about, these are the, the reasons I drank. These are the things that, um, that keep me blocked off these are the the, if I don't deal with these defects of character then I will retreat into alcoholism Um, and so I think it shows up a lot in just like stubbornness um, and like you know what I don't want to do the work today I don't want to do an 11 step today I don't want to call my sponsor today You know, um, like it's the the subtler forms of the ism underneath the alcohol um, that can show up and and indicate to me that um, I'm falling off the beam, right? Thank you. Anybody else?
0: Okay, so I do want to talk to you about, I just, um, you had mentioned that like you left a job where you were making... uh, good money to go be a tech, which I imagine you were making less money doing that. Um, so can you tell us why you would do that and like how that came to be?
2: Yeah. Uh, so I was in grad school, um, getting my master's in professional counseling. Um, I had, I had started, um, grad school when I was 20 and, um, you know, alcoholism got me and I did never did finish at that time. And, um, I knew, uh, I wanted to be in the field. I wanted to be a therapist. Um, so I got some sobriety under my belt and finally went back to school. And, um, I actually, um, at eight years sober went back into residential treatment for trauma. Um, and I, uh, I, I didn't want to drink, but I did want to die again. Um, and I was eight years sober, and, um, and I, so I took some, I was already kind of contemplating what I was doing at that, at that job. It was a, you know, intense, stressful environment, to say the least, uh, right, Gina, um, and, uh, and so I was already, like, contemplating what I was doing, and I knew I wanted to get in the field at some point, and I, um, my heart wasn't in it, it was, it was like, corporate world, you know, just was like a job, Um and I went to treatment and I came back and I remember having a conversation with my supervisor and she's like, you're different. You're like, you're not the same. Um, and that was the truth. I wasn't my, like, I couldn't fake it anymore. Um, I had gotten healing in ways that I had never had. And like the, my ability to like, I dreaded going to that job every day. Um, And, and so I, against my mother's better judgment, perhaps um, <laughs> uh quit and and I found a job uh, making like 12 bucks an hour I had to move back in with my parents um but I was so much happier there I worked on before I worked on the women's unit and at Katie, I worked on the adolescent unit that was such a nightmare and a blessing um at the same time like working with those kids was like amazing and there there's little that will prepare you um, so well in the field than being a, a mental health tech um, in a facility first. And so I just knew it was like, I was getting experience in the field. I knew it would pay off later. Um, and, and I, you know, I just kind of took, uh, I, you know, moved back in with my parents. I was lucky enough to be able to do that and, and just like took that jump, you know, and then, and then because, because God is good, like, um, like I, I got my internship and Um, they hired me straight out of my internship as a residential case manager. Um, and then I, you know, left that job and started work out there, um, and, you know, worked with them for about a year and a half. And then when I, when I left, um, when I went to treatment at eight years sober, I met this amazing doctor, um, who's just in recovery, um, super smart, really successful, um, and, And I got the opportunity to come to Chicago and work for her. Um, So like my former psychiatrist is my boss now. Um, And then, you know, so it's like, it, it comes full circle, right? It took a couple of years, but like, I'm so much happier in a week and a half. I'm moving back to Texas and, you know, going to Houston. And, and so like it, like financially, I'm um, where I was at that well-paying job, um, and like spiritually and emotionally, I'm just like so much more happy. I think it's just a like a stepping out in faith, you know, like firmly believing like this is this is the work I was was created to do, and so like firmly believing that, and then just like when doors open, like sometimes it's really easy to tell God's will, like when doors open and. Um, you step through and then the next one's already open and things are flow really easily, like, it's a pretty good chances that like, God's good with that. You know, when I have to insert my will constantly, and it's a struggle, um, then I need to take a take another look at like what I'm doing. Um, But like with these opportunities, doors have just flown open, you know, which is reassuring that I'm that I'm stepping out for a good reason.
0: So that makes me want to um, also ask you too. That that sounds a lot of um, making decisions um, based on intuitive thought, like listening yeah. to that intuition, mm-hmm. um, which we've talked about before. What does uh, what does that look like for you?
2: I um, this is a good good topic and a good question because i think um i think we all have that like even stronger like female intuition um and we are like trained not to trust it like how many times have we been like um told we were crazy or what are you talking about i'm not doing this or that you think or you know whatever or i'm just trained by society and, and and people in our life to not trust our guts Um, and that's a skill, um, that like has to be rehomed, you know? Um, what I think the, I, I rely on, I don't, I'm a therapist. I don't know theories. I just rely on my, on my gut instinct. I'm like in tune with myself and with my higher power and like, and I, I trust that and step out in that, you know, I think that that's a, like a spiritual practice as well, when I feel connected to my higher power, I also feel connected to me. Um, like I know when, when I am trying to force something and when I am trying to um, like get my point in, when I'm waiting for my turn to talk or when I'm like being spiritually guided by something greater than me, when, when I am like sharing in a meeting or with a client and things are just flowing, and um, like come out of my mouth easily, I know I'm connected. When I have to like force and struggle and it's a it's a battle, then I know I'm I'm not connected. Um, and so I, I think it's it's a risk that that we have to take where we learn to like we have a gut instinct and learning practicing learning to step out in that like sort of intuitive thought or decision, right? And that doesn't like intuitive thought or decision does not come until like step 11 so it's easy And it talks about like being fooled where we 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 think that we're going to be connected at all times this is not always the case sometimes you know we we have what turns out to be an absurd thought or action that causes later troubles you know so we have to be careful in the beginning but eventually if i'm like fully connected and and like on my stuff on a daily basis then, then, you know, and I can ask for intuitive thought or decision, you know, like that's a prayer in the book. Um, When we get caught up, we ask for intuitive thought or decision, you know, so, so sometimes it's actually asking for, um, to receive that intuition.
1: I have a question. So would you say that like learning to trust that obviously takes practice and it's a process, but how, How do you learn to trust that? Because I sometimes I'm like, I get all up in my head about stuff because I'm like, I can't trust my own thoughts because I know I have a diseased brain and I have a disease that's out to get me. And so it's one reason I'm so thankful for sponsorship and strong, supportive women around me. But like, what is your experience on learning
4: to trust? No,
2: I I think it's so, when I got sober, my sponsor said, you can make one decision, paper or plastic. Outside of paper or plastic, you come to me right like and that was the understanding and so I think it 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 starts with like not stepping out alone on intuition but like having um strong sponsorship and other other people around me that I trust that I can say this is what I'm thinking like what do you think and like that allows me to like run it past somebody before I like step out of my own and even today like I have a sponsor I have a therapist I have a psychiatrist um so they're I didn't decide to move to Chicago without talking to anybody. And I didn't decide to move to Houston without talking to anybody. Um, I made the final decision. Like a lot of times early in sobriety, it's like, well, my sponsor is making me blah, 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 which is fine early in sobriety. But I know today that I may, I ultimately make my, my own decisions. Right. And the other thing is like scientifically, like we, the brain can heal. Right. When we first get sober, the prefrontal cortex is like offline, can't make decisions, like it's just crap. Um, and we use the group and our higher powers to act as a prefrontal cortex in decision-making because we can't do it. The brain does heal itself. Um, will I always have the disease of alcoholism? Of course. And and one drink will set off the allergy and the phenomenon of craving. Um, but that doesn't mean that we i I can't get to a place where I learn to trust my thoughts and um and and beliefs and intuition, um, but it starts with running everything by somebody in the beginning. I paper or plastic um, but later in sobriety the fur- the further away as long as i 'm continuing to maintain a program right like if I was like not going to meetings, not talking to a sponsor, not talking to a therapist i probably make really crappy decisions ha- because I'm probably also not connected to a higher power, which is where the intuition comes from. Um, but if I'm plugged in and I'm like taking care of myself and my program, um, I can trust myself more because it's not really just me.
0: That was a great
4: question. I have a question. I have a dual diet. Well, you know, a dual addiction um, with codependency. And my, my codependency, I think, is – is really, it's really, I haven't been, I haven't like tried to do anything about that on my own. And sometimes when my, when my sponsor is talking to me about a relation, like if I tell her something about a relationship, um, I tend to think, well, she can't tell me about my relationship. So when you say that you have, your sponsor gave you, you know, you have just this choice, like what advice would you give me on, on trusting that, my sponsor and my higher power can take, you know, because right now I'm just like, don't drink, like, just staying with yeah. the not, you know, within with the not drinking and doing anything about my codependency. Because I'm saying, well, I'm going to work on that after I get
2: through with the 12 steps here. You know what I mean? Right. Does that make sense? <laughs> For sure. Um, yeah. I think, I think one, I think um, the 12 steps and CODA look very similar to the 12 steps in AA, right? And so like it, there may, you may find that just working the steps in AA has some effect on like codependent behaviors as well. Um, also, like I, I just, I knew that um, I needed help in every area of my life. Um, and my sponsor had access to the areas of my life touched by alcoholism guess what? Everything has been touched by alcoholism. Um, And so while, you know, um, while I am in charge of like my final decision making, um, if there's something I'm like holding back from my sponsor, um, that's for me is an indicator of like, um, I need to look at my motives, right? Like, why, why am I holding onto this so tightly? Why am I afraid of turning this over? Um, and why am I afraid of like having these tough discussions with um, with my sponsor? And, um, is there a, like a trust issue with my sponsor? Do I not, you know, like what what's going on there that I don't want to like go there? Um, and having said that, Alcoholics Anonymous is not built to solve every problem, um, and so I mean we do have a singleness of purpose, um, and so I can understand like you know wanting to take that somewhere else or not discuss it like with your sponsor um and i think there's room in the program to have those conversations like i said like my sponsor has access to all the points of my life touched by alcoholism which for me includes relationships
0: i like that i like that uh, all the points of my life touched by alcoholism it really is it really all points yes
4: right now I'm, i've worked all the way through step 8 so my question is Uh, You mentioned earlier when you were talking with uh, Kristen with the question she asked about love and tolerance. So is that something I can look forward to in step 10? Because I still have a habit of trying to control every situation, but I'm more more intuitive with when I'm doing it now at at step 8. But will I be able to recognize it before I go
2: into it once I get through to step 10? Does that make any sense? For sure. Um, I think I think of that as like uh defect of character kind of. And like I'm I'm always working on six and seven like defects of character. And the way that way that works for me is like um, awareness, right? Like, it sounds like you have increased awareness on, on your behavior, which you probably didn't used to have. Um, so the first, it, I can't turn over a behavior I'm not aware I'm engaging in. So the first step is, is is that awareness, right? And then it's like, oh, look what I'm doing. How did this happen again? And then, and then it's like, oh, look, I'm about to do it. Yep, I'm going to do it anyway. Um, and then doing it anyway, right? And then it's like, I approach it and I'm like, you know, all right, and I do it anyway, and then I'm like, sponsor, can you help me get out of this mess again, Um, and then, like, maybe the next time I'm like, oh, I'm about to do it, well, maybe this time I won't, Uh, and then I, and I, like, sidestep the movie trap, right, and then the next time I do it again, you know, but it's, it's increased awareness, and it's much more of a, it's not a linear process, you know, so, um, like, there's, love and tolerance is, like, um, like deep seated heart work, right? Um, not like not running my mouth and not like like restraint of tongue and text. Um, I can start practicing that even if like my heart's still like that. I, was, I almost said some bad words, I'm really trying not to. Um, so you know what I mean? like so like that's kind of like inner heart work, love and tolerance, um, and it doesn't mean my behavior can't, like, I can't pretend to be loving, to- loving, intolerant until I actually feel loving, intolerant, and, and I think, like, you're right on the cusp of a lot of promises coming true, including, um, in you know, in, in like, all the nine-step promises, and so, like, when we go out and, and have to go to people and say, you know what, man, I was wrong, um, and I'm not going to do that again, and then we really don't do it again, we, and after we have looked at, our part in our resentments, um, like it softens us a little bit, you know? Um, so, I mean, hy- hypo- theoretically. Um, so I would say, yeah, it's it's still a work in progress and you're becoming aware and you, and you probably didn't used to have that awareness. Good stuff. Yeah. Yep. I
3: have a question. Mm-hmm. I think it's one of my favorites, but, um, you know, and Maggie's a drill one, two and three, but, you know ten eleven, and twelve is, is like the meat of it, not really, but yes um, what does like ten step in look like to you, and how often do you do it because you know if you do it all throughout your day and then at night doing your nightly review yeah what is what does a ten step look like to you
2: um, i if we if we go to the twelve and twelve it talks about like the spot check inventory, right so I do a lot of spot checking and making amends, um, like promptly, um, nightly review is actually like an 11 step pro- process. Um, like the, the part of the book that talks about, we were, we, we reviewed where we were self just honest, self-seeking and afraid, you know, like, and that, and so do I do an 11 step, like formal 11 step every night? No. Um, but uh, there have been periods of my sobriety where I have, uh, and it's been really helpful. Like when I had to email, my sponsor, my 11 step inventory every night, um, that really adjusted my behavior throughout the day (laughs) when I knew I had to be honest. So that's an effective process, um, and uh, effective practice. And, um, up here, like people get like 11 step buddies where they, um, they like, they just send each other their inventories every night. And I think that's a That's a great idea. But for me, I think it's, it's much more of a, um, like a spot check and that, that like back to that, like intuition, right. Or that having a conscience today, like I feel really yucky when I'm acting out in character defects, and so like I'm, I can reflect on my day, uh, and I do reflect on my day, but I, I am much more likely to to like amend it in the moment, right? Because I just can't tolerate that like that feeling anymore.
0: Great, thank you. Uh, well, we are at the top of the hour. Does anybody have a question before I ask the wrap up question? Okay. Um, I just want to say thank you very much. Uh, Rachel, there's been some good stuff that's been talked about. I was actually thinking the other yesterday, how, um, much more peaceful my life is today because I'm not having to constantly worry about like, um, the lie that I told here or the shit talking that I did over here and like, who's going to find out over here. Like, it's so exhausting. and I'm so happy that <laughs> to not live like that today. It's such a awesome um, I guess side effect of this whole thing yeah so whenever you were talking about that that just reminded me of that Uh, so thank you Mm
2: -hmm.
0: well my wrap-up question is do you okay if you could leave us on one takeaway um if you don't hear anything I'm saying hear this kind of thing what would the one thing that you'd want us to take away god
2: Um, I would say, um, like what, when you first asked that, what came to mind was you don't have to live this way. Um, and, and like in, and and I mean, of course, like inactive addiction, like you don't have to live this way. Um, like there is a solution. Um, there's a solution that works for a lot of people. Um, with a lot of different problems and uh, a lot of like complicated stories. Um, and, you know, the, the program, rarely have we seen a person fail um, who has thoroughly followed our path, right? And so like the program is is highly effective um, when I follow the suggestions. Um, and the the part of the night set promises, it says we will know a new freedom and a new happiness, Um, not like the whole the point is not to go back to the way things were um, because that girl gets drunk right Um, the point is a new freedom and a new happiness um, a life experience that I've never had before Um, and and that is um, that's something worth doing the work for
0: so good thank you all right y'all You have a wonderful, wonderful day. Thank you. Hey, I just want to say,
2: Rachel, Rachel, that was freaking awesome. I loved it. Thank you, (laughs) Michelle. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, really good. (laughs) Thank you, Katie. This
1: podcast is from the Magdalene House, a recovery community for alcoholic women. We are a nonprofit organization located in Dallas, Texas, and we provide comprehensive recovery services to alcoholic women at absolutely no cost. You can learn more and support our mission at magdalenhouse.org.